Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show. Hello, welcome to Generation Digital Workforce. I'm your host for today's episode, Lisa Hackbarth. I'm joined today by Matt Juden Bloomfield, head of RPA at Blue Prism. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing really well, thanks, Lisa. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for being here. I'm excited. This is a, one of our very first episodes, so very excited to be talking to you today. And it's just great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Today, our topic that you'll be helping us unpack is what is a COE or center of excellence and why would your company want one? But before we begin, could you tell our listeners more about yourself? Sure. So I've been with Blue Prism since the end of June 2018, and I was tasked with setting up our internal center of excellence. I think it's a common misnomer that we have been doing this since the word go. We actually hadn't. My background prior to joining Blue Prism was working for Deloitte as a tech consultant. And I did a lot of sort of tech operating models and strategies for large e-commerce clients. And uh, yeah, I was sort of sold this vision that a tech operating model is basically the same as a robotic operating model and, you know, everything would be fine. I mean, there are some synergies, but it is quite different, but it's been a really exciting learning curve. And what an awesome industry to be a part of. Great. So for our for our listeners who might not be familiar with RPA, could you give us a quick overview of what it is? Sure. So RPA stands for Robotic Process Automation. And essentially, it's automating tasks that are administrative, repetitive, menial, and really unleashing the potential in the human by giving it to a digital worker. So, you know, think about expense claims or your sort of daily report writing. Previously, you'd have a fleet of people doing that all day, every day, data entry, that kind of thing. Now the digital workers can do it. And so that person's freed up to take up more strategic initiatives, be more creative, spend time with customers and value add in in sort of the way that only a human can do. Yeah, I definitely love that about our technology, just how it creates opportunities. Because no, that's one of the first things when I started here, I went to a customer event and one of our clients said, you know, our goal with RPA is to get people back to their job descriptions. Because he's like, no one ever says you're going to spend six hours a week migrating data from emails into a spreadsheet. So that's not the work that we want our people doing. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, there's this misnomer that automation equals job losses. And the reality is that in some instances, yeah, that that does happen. But actually, for the most part, what you're really doing is giving back the strategic time and actually making people a bit more, you know, excited about their job again, so that they're not having to sit in front of an Excel spreadsheet for 12 hours on end, you know, it actually means that they can get out and do the stuff that they sort of signed up to or dreamt about, you know, when they were a kid, you know, oh, I'm going to, go and present to customers all day and sell things and, you know, be able to make strategic decisions. And then you find yourself doing manual entry. It's like, what happened? What went wrong? Well, RPA can help with some of that. Yes, 100%. So can you tell us a little bit more about your role, Matt? 
Sure. So uh, my title is head of RPA. And essentially what that means is that I lead our internal automation team. So I guess the interesting nuance is that we are an internal customer of Blue Prism using Blue Prism in order to make our company more efficient and also to showcase out, you know, how you can use it innovative ways um, to get it going, as well as sharing the journey that we've been on. You talked a little bit about your background as a consultant. Can you tell us a little bit more about what in your background helped prepare you for this role? So I guess being a consultant, you have a unique and quite privileged position of being able to go into a company. You're not involved in any of the business as usual. You're able to provide strategic insight and help them see that there's a better way of, of doing the task that they're currently doing and maybe not doing as efficiently or as well. And so coming into Blue Prism and taking on the role that I have, I almost act as an internal consultant where I help people come on that journey and realize that automation might well be the solution that they have not yet realized is open to them. And that, you know, that there is a better way and that there's something that can really give some value back to their to their life, to their team, to their cost center, to whatever. This isn't necessarily to do with my background, but I mean, couple that with the fact that I am naturally a very optimistic person. And I also just like to get stuff done. I think that they're all sort of key things that I would say someone in my position needs to have, you know, getting getting out into the business, not being afraid to speak up and tell people that, you know, this is the way, <laughs> this is the truth, the light, uh, you know, and, and, you know, why it's important and how it can help um, is, is a key thing, as well as just pushing people, because, you know, there's resistance, there always will be to change, but doing that in a way that brings people on the journey rather than alienates them, I think is, is key. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you have a, a savior complex, it might be a good job for you. <laughs> just kidding. No comment. <laughs> All right. So how about a COE or center of excellence? What is it and why would a company need one? A center of excellence is the focal point of all automation in a business. And it acts as basically a conduit between the business and IT. So we sit in the business, but we work with IT and are sort of governed by it in order to deliver automations and efficiencies back to the business. And essentially, it's an operational team. So we do everything from discovering processes um, that are ripe for automation, building them, and then delivering it, them into the live environment, as well as sort of monitoring and controlling them thereafter. Couple that with the fact that the Center of Excellence also goes out and evangelizes and advocates. It's, a, it's an incredibly crucial team in order to take the company and the employees on that change journey. So they will manage all of the comms. They will manage the best practice. They will manage, as I said, the training and the education to kind of bring people on that journey with them. And, you know, it's incredibly crucial for the success and the efficacy of a RPA solution is having that core team in place to sort of really cement it in the business as a cultural value rather than it just being another initiative that gets done side of desk and doesn't really deliver tangible results. Great. I love it. Um, so before we started recording, you shared that you were brought on to set up the COE here, but I mean, you didn't have to sell it internally, right? Oh, how you're wrong. 
<laughs> so, you know, I think I touched on this at the beginning, but people had this sort of misconception that, you know, we're an automation company, therefore we we automate and we do it really well. And do you know what? We we have fantastic best practice. We have fantastic documentation, training, guidelines, you name it, we've got it. But what we hadn't done is actually do something that many of our customers fall into, which is assign someone full time to actually take the lead and really drive it home to the wider business. And so, you know, me coming in, I had a bit of an uphill battle to a convince people that my job was a legitimate one and that, you know, we did need to do this. As they've kind of realized that, I think the challenge now is more about educating and helping the wider business to understand real candidates for automation. So it's, it's again, very true of, of many of our customers. But the people who are working on it on a day-to-day -day basis, of course they know what RPA is. And, you know, that would be true in our business, people who are going out and selling it on a day-to-day -day basis or the developers, they know it. However, there are people in administrative roles in our company and they have been needed to sort of be brought on that journey too. And so, yeah, we've done a series of webinars, we do workshops, we do lunch and learns, and I've kind of been helping bring people on that journey and, and sell it, as you say. All right. And one of our internal resources is the ROM or robotic operating model. And it's this proprietary model that we have. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about that and then how the ROM plays a part in the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So the robotic operating model has been crucial in terms of bringing myself and my team up to speed. And it's a fantastic resource available to anyone via our portal. So the robotic operating model is essentially some pre prescribed streams and pillars of, of work that you really ought to be thinking about in the early days of initializing your RPA center of excellence. So, you know, everything from setting out the vision, what it is that you want to achieve so that you can land that with your execs and the sort of leadership and get them to really tangibly buy in. So, you know, setting out my goal or our goal for 20 by 2025, we want to have automated X percentage of the workforce. You know, that way you can then create objectives for the team underneath that or indeed the wider business so that you're actually getting true buy-in. Then it's about finding the right pipeline. So you might do a bit of analysis up front um, using heat maps, for example, to really look at areas of the business where there's gaps currently in today's process that could really be fixed and need to be fixed ASAP. And, you know, what you might then do is a bit of analysis on, well, of those gaps, where could automation help and how could that fix? So we, we did that internally and that really helped us to identify some of our early um, processes. And then you've got everything sort of further down the stream in terms of staffing. So where do you find the right people? How do you attract them? The training plans, succession plans, all of the things that you need in order to make sure that your people well, A, you find the right people and B, that you're able to keep them. And it kind of goes on. So, you know, all of the key elements of your center of excellence, the robotic operating model helps to advise you as the head of RPA of things that you ought to be thinking about and really start to action. And then once you've got all of that together, that really is you fairly cemented and able to start building. So, you know, one of the other elements of it that's quite crucial is the technology. So how are you going to host your center of excellence? Are you going to put it into the cloud? In which case, you know, you want to make sure that it's, you know, in a sort of 
secure online server that's behind a VPN, for example. The guidance has been crucial from my perspective, and the ROM is a fantastic resource for anyone setting up a team. Beautiful. That sounds amazing and so helpful. So great. Thanks for helping explain that. So tell me a little bit, you you touched on how the ROM helps you kind of define your team. How did you go about building your team? Sure. So essentially, for the first couple of months, it was just myself. And initially, we had been sort of floating the idea of just having rotational resources coming in from our professional services team, because they go out and do that with customers. And that was very quickly decided that was the wrong idea. And one of the reasons behind that is essentially you need to have people who are able to be consistent in all of this. So we made a decision very quickly that we were going to hire full-time resources. And what I looked for in the people that I was hiring was people who had sort of a background with operations, that sort of process mindset that, you know, you garner from working in manufacturing or you know, even working consulting where you're sort of having to think through logical steps and present it. And as it turned out, I would say I've now got a team of 10 and at least half of those people have all come from engineering backgrounds. That was not intentional, but, you know, I have to say that it's their sort of ability to critically reason, their ability to think logically and present it back is an amazing skill for the development but it's equally a very good skill to have in terms of the discovery so a lot of them are fantastic at articulating and presenting ideas which works really well in a discovery workshop so yeah i would say high level i'd say engineers have been the basis of my team and equally a lot of organic luck has has helped as well all right. So I think one one misconception, or at least what I thought of when I started here, was that you would have to have a background in development or IT or things like that. So, you know, right now I help I host a demo webinar. And I think that's one of the surprising things to me is that you don't have to, you know, know JavaScript or that kind of thing. So, yeah. So do, do any of your people have a developer background or? So I'm vigorously shaking my head. <laughs> um no, I mean, that's the thing I also really love about my team is that none of us came from an RPA background. Every single person who joined has come either from industry and worked in, as I said, consulting or engineering and manufacturing. Or even, you know, we've had people from like sports backgrounds, you know, there's, there is some strange ones, but all fantastic. And I think it's that diversity that's really helping our team to thrive. However, as an aside, you know, in terms of the learning of RPA um, and getting up to speed. Blue Prism and RPA as a product is simplistic. You know, Blue Prism is great because it's code free and you can simply drag and drop skills from the digital exchange. You can, you know, make small amendments in the process and everything is a predefined step. So it's a fantastic, fantastically easy tool to use, which blew my mind even as someone who definitely doesn't have a developer background. And I think that's been something that's quite a strong message is that, you know, my team, some of which have only been in role for three months, have come in with no prior knowledge, have used all of the training and the tools that Blue Prism provides, got themselves developer certified, ROM architect certified, and they're now delivering processes for our business in a really short period of time. So the whole concept of this being like a daunting 
hurdle that you can't get into or you know your company just doesn't have the skill set to to get on board with is is a, is wrong you know you can do this you just got to make the time and set aside the resources in which to to make it happen now i promise my audience i did not intend for that to come out as a commercial <laughs> <laughs> sorry i i just have a natural tendency to do that <laughs> Sincerely, that's not where we meant to take it, but that did sound very impressive. Very passionate. I just get really passionate. I know. I run into a lot of people around here like that. Great. Um, so let's see. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, what processes does your team have going on right now? Okay. So we have been fully operational for around about a year now, 18 months if you include some of the sort of pre-prep and the strategy. We've got 13 live automations and we've got 13 currently in development. And my aim would be that by the end of the year, we'll probably have deployed another 30. So all in, you know, in comparison to some of our customers, we are pretty small still. However, we are delivering some really great stuff. So, you know, one of our key automations is we automate every single license key that um, customers buy. Now, in terms of wait time that's been avoided, so far we've returned about 50,000 hours back of wait time that's avoided. And that is purely calculated as a, how long it takes the digital worker to process versus what it previously took a human. You know, at worst, it could take a matter of weeks um, to get that license key out purely because there was one person doing it and, you know, we were swamped. Now the digital worker does it in five and a half minutes. And so in terms of the customer experience, it's vastly improved. So we actually processed our 10,000th license key back in January. And, um, you know, we're just keeping keeping going and keeping thriving and trying to reduce that time yet further, predominantly from sort of infrastructure upgrades and the like. But, uh, but yeah, we, we're working in a whole host of different areas. One of the other things that I'll shout about is we have a share scheme automation, which is another great one in terms of high level figures. So what the process essentially does is that as a Blue Prism employee, every employee gets given shares every year. And that used to be a manual process where the legal team would lock themselves in a room for a couple of weeks on end, writing out all the share certificates, getting them approved, making sure the right values are on there before they issue them out to the employee. So our digital worker now does that in eight hours, issuing all of the shares for everyone in the company, getting them uploaded to Investec, which is our um, investor site, and also um, having it vetted and verified by the head of legal and the CEO. So, you know, essentially what was up to a one month, two month task is now done in a day. And, you know, the legal team have seen huge gains from that. All right. And now can you tell our audience a little bit about the methodology you use and maybe some of the upcoming projects that you'll you'll be delivering? Yeah, of course. So we run in three streams of work um, with a lead for each. So we have a discovery lead, we have a build lead and we have a controller. And each one of those is individual, but with shared resources across all of them. And we operate as a central team. So essentially we have the shared JIRA board, which we manage everything on, all of the opportunities, the pipeline, and we track everything on there as well. So the discovery is obviously focused on assessing some of the automation ideas that come in, running workshops and fleshing out those ideas. The build is focused on designing it, doing all of the documentation, testing it, and then the control is focused on 
deploying it, maintaining it, and um, working on the change. So quite a standard one there. Um, but what we've actually moved to quite recently is more of an agile approach. So we now work on two weekly sprints, assigning work within those two weekly sprints. And what we've actually found is that it really helps us to track our work a lot better. And one of the main aims from this, from my perspective, is I want to reduce our cycle time so we can deliver more back to the business quicker. So I forgot to tell you about our processes that are upcoming. So, you know, some I can tell you, some I can't tell you. But, you know, from a wider business perspective, I think what we're starting to find is that as a company, we're maturing more. And what maturing means is that a lot more of the processes that we do on a daily basis are becoming more defined and are stable. You know, since I've been at Blue Prism, the number of people on the team has grown by about 800 people. It's phenomenal in less than 18 months. And so as a result, every single process that we do changes nearly daily and it makes it incredibly difficult to automate. So what we're finding as we're maturing is that these processes are becoming more stable. We have individual owners and we're able to then start automating a lot more of those business as usual tasks. You know, prior to that, we were doing a lot more of the experiential. So like I said, the license process or the share scheme or, you know, non-disclosure agreements, all of those things are, you know, probably if you were prioritizing it and you were starting from the word go, they wouldn't necessarily be your number one. So we can now start moving into a lot more of those BAU, like HR onboarding, for example. So that is that is one of our key areas this year. We're also doing something uh, with sanction checking. So there's something called the OFAC check, which basically checks to make sure that any company that you're working with hasn't got any form of embargo. And what that basically enables us to do is to ensure that we are compliant and that we are, um, you know, not breaking any rules by working with any of our sort of entities. And that's a fantastic thing for us to return to the business because you would probably never really employ the number of people it would take to do that on every single company that you work with. And so the amount of hours that will actually be sort of saved in us automating that is into the tens of thousands. So very exciting. That is exciting. So tell us a little bit more about what are some of the things that you have done or are planning to do to raise awareness within our own organization about what you guys are doing? So I am of the firm belief that automation can and should be fun. And we do a lot of events in order to make it a bit more fun. And trivial as that seems, or even a little bit um, childish, I guess, one of the main aims of that is really to overcome the automation anxiety that exists. So people see automation as something that is scary, something that you know they don't really understand. And when people don't understand stuff, often their reaction is negative. So what we do is we've created digital worker um, cartoons. So we have four characters, Albert, Beatrice, Charles, and Diana, and they all have their own little image. And each one of them will post on our internal Yammer page on a weekly basis saying, hey, it's Charles here. I've learned a new skill or, hey, it's Beatrice. Um, last week, I returned a thousand hours by doing X, Y, Z. And what we've actually found is that those posts get a huge amount of engagement from people in the wider business wanting to find out more, going, oh, this is so awesome. Thanks for sharing. So then what we did is we made them physical. So we also now do birthday parties in the in the offices. So we did, um, I think it was Charles's birthday just before Christmas. And we got a cake <laughs> and we had a party in the office, which, you know, essentially was us actually just doing a bit of an automation roadshow where 
every time people came up to the, the desk to get a piece of cake, we'd be like, have you got any processes that you want us to automate? Let us tell you a bit more about what the team does. And, you know, people are really engaging with it. We, we actually created digital worker t-shirts for the recent global sales kickoff and sold them all for charity. And they were all gone in like a matter of minutes. You know, people, people love the fact that it's being sold almost internally as this quite fun, lighthearted thing that's actually doing some, some really great work, but is something that isn't over-engineered and boring. And, you know, sometimes with these big change programs, it can just seem heavy and something that you're just like, oh, I just don't even want to know about it because, you know, I've got enough going on. So if you can package it in a way that's quite fun, quite lighthearted and accessible, you're kind of winning half the battle. And we've definitely found that our engagement has been so much better since we've done stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's so insightful, just how how humans are. There's a lot, a lot in what you said that is very true, just about how people are, how, how we work, the fear of change, all of that, I think is great. And I, yeah, I, I do love how it's fun, how you guys are addressing it. I personally have a value of fun, so I, I enjoy it. <laughs> All right, so let's see. So um, do you have any advice for other companies on how they can start their own center of excellence? Yeah, I do. So I would say, you know, touching on the point about getting people on side and breaking down those barriers, it's, it's don't forget that you as a head of RPA or head of automation or ahead of a center of excellence, you know, you represent change and people find change incredibly scary. And so oftentimes the resistance that you're maybe coming up against is not directed at the fact that, you know, people don't see the value in, in what you're doing or don't respect you as, as an individual or a leader. It's more to do with the fact that they are maybe just not yet sold fully on, on automation. And, you know, I think it's something to note that doing that education piece, going out and really helping people to understand at a really basic level, what is automation and how will it deliver value back to your business is something that will really pay dividends. You know, I've definitely found um, a number of examples where people have been very resistant and I've just thought, oh my word, I don't know how I'm going to win them round. And then we do sort of like I said, the birthday parties or some some fun webinars and all of a sudden they, they want to be involved and they've got a ton of ideas and it's really refreshing to see, but equally it kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit being like, how did it take this long? But yeah, I, I'd say that would be my biggest piece of advice is, is just remember that you represent change and try and make that change as least scary to the business as possible. Yeah. And I think there's, it's, it's really hard to tell with people just be how I think, um, you know, our most valuable commodity is time and attention. And so, you know, for some people, it's like, they're just in their job, they're in the grind, you know, and thinking about, uh, especially something that might not directly affect them immediately. It's hard for them to just switch gears, but it's like, once you do get that attention, it's amazing to see how, you know, that it's like the, the switch is flipped. So yeah, great stuff. So it's like stick stick with it is what you're saying. Just keep keep uh, banging the drum. Well, great. Thank you so much, Matt, for being here. I think we covered so much ground and I really just appreciate you coming in and sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom and experience. Um, and so I have one final question for you, and that is what is your favorite robot? 
Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I'm going to go with Wally. And personally, it's just because it's a really cute robot. And I like the fact that he's going around the world, making it a little bit cleaner, trying to fix it. So from a sort of empathic side, I, I feel like I sort of re- resonate with that. Equally, I kind of like the sort of underlying psychology that exists where they're sort of saying, you know, our capitalist society is ruining the world and we need to be a bit better. That appeals to my ecological warrior that's sort of hidden within. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I definitely would go with Wally. But, yeah, I'm really glad that you have me on today. So thanks so much for having me. And I guess my parting shot will be that for anyone who's listening and going, I want to get involved and I want to find out a bit more. Firstly, you can. (laughs) It is easy, as I've said. And secondly, you know, reach out. You know, I'm happy to to talk to people. I'm happy to um, put them in touch with my team. We've got a ton of resources, be it use cases, marketing use cases, um, videos of our processes, even videos about how you sort of discover and build. And also a really handy little guide that we created called the Little Blue Book of Automation, which basically is just a really simple guide that says what does and doesn't make for a good automation. All of these things, you know, I'm happy to to share with whoever. Um, So, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So thanks so much, Matt. So yeah, we will definitely link to everything that you mentioned in our show notes. And this, I think it's just been great. I've personally loved hearing your perspective on this topic. And I think that our audience will find it incredibly helpful too. So if anyone listening has follow-up questions or would like to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? So you can either contact me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Matt Jude and Bloomfield, or you could drop an email to centerofexcellence at blueprism.com. And you guys spell it the British way? We actually spell it either way. So um, e- both emails will be directed, whether it's RE or ER. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Well, Matt, thanks again for being on the show today. I really appreciate the time. To our audience, thank you so much for joining us today as well. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Matt Juden Bloomfield, head of RPA at Blue Prism. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or would like more information, please visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks so much, everybody. You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content. For show notes and more info, visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.